I'm telling you, as we look at the book of Acts, we see a picture of what God still desires to do. His church, He very much desires to still be alive. And He's still at work in His church. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here. We pray. Well, it is great to see you this morning. I'm Barrett, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are new this morning, we do just want to welcome you and tell you how glad we are that you're with us. We are in the middle of a study of the book of Acts. We typically go through books of the Bible, and if you've got your Bible this morning, we're going to be continuing our series. We're calling this series Church Alive. And we're studying the book of Acts because we recognize that in the book of Acts, we find our own church's history. Our church began not 16 years ago, but really back in the book of Acts, same with every Christian church today. And it's really important for us to understand um, that the work of Jesus continues, both in the book of Acts, but also in the church today, including ours. And the book of Acts is not as much a, a history of what God used to do, although it is very historical. It's also helping us understand what God still wants to do. And so we've been walking through this book together. And today, um, we're going to be talking about um, one of the characteristics of a church that is alive in the Spirit of God and is experiencing the ongoing ministry of Jesus. And this morning, that characteristic, if you've got something to write with and you're taking notes, and I hope you will, um, because um, we're going to be covering a a larger uh, section of Scripture today, but I'm going to be basically hitting some of the highlights of this section, and I really hope that you will go back and continue to study the Word deeply, uh, disciple others in it, discuss it with others, uh, whether it's at lunch today or at your home tonight or at meal or coffee this week. And so taking notes is one way that you can really uh, lean forward and understand what God is really saying. But the title of today's message is bold witness. That's the characteristic that we're looking at today, is a church that understands the call to bold witness. We're going to be starting where we left off last week, and that is at the start of chapter 3. I am covering a large section of uh, scripture this morning because a lot of it is narrative, And we're going to be talking about this not only today, but in some weeks to come. And I'm super excited about some of the people who will have opportunity to speak to you in weeks to come. So we're going to be hitting the beginning of this journey today, but it's a theme that will continue as we move forward in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 3, everybody there? You got it? Starting in verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV, it's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. 
Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood, and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat by the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God has raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all of the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple 
And the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what has happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage? And why did the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together 
against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city they were, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. I want you to skip to chapter 5, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and they laid them on cots, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles, and they put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people of all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the sin of the people of Israel and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and they reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would have come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple. They're teaching the people. Then the captains or the officers went and they brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet, here... You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by the people, stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. But he too perished, though. And all who followed him, they were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan... Or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This is God's word. Good word, isn't it? After last week, me teaching one of the primary characteristics of a church should be being Bible-based, I figured, you know, it'd be good to just read Scripture for about 15 minutes. That's what we did. Um, man, as we continue in Acts, it's very obvious, isn't it, why we titled today's sermon, Bold Witness? Because in the text, that's exactly what we're seeing here as we look at what God is doing in the church then and what he desires to do in the church today. I want to give you seven characteristics of bold witness if you're making a list, and we're just going to walk through it quickly. Again, I cannot teach verse by verse. Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, the reading took 10 minutes. How long will the sermon be? <laughs> um, I cannot walk through verse by verse this passage. And Really, with texts like this, uh, when it's in narrative, typically we do work to pull out themes, and there are some very clear themes that God has put on my heart as I have studied and labored in the Word that I believe if you desire to see them, you will see them as we walk through them together. Characteristics of Christian witness. The first characteristic I see is this. I see a characteristic of the people of Jesus being ready and eager to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We know back from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we talked about gospel identity the very first week of this series, and if you miss a message, I would encourage you to go back and listen. But we know part of our gospel identity is to understand, Jesus says, but you will be my witnesses. In other words, 
all that you are, as you live your life, as you love your wife, as you lead your children, as you work, as you relate to your neighbors, as you engage in your community, as you live among the nations, all of your life, you need to understand God has made you a witness with your life. You are to be a witness. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we've seen the Holy Spirit come to the church. We've seen what happens when the Spirit of God is poured out. And we've seen the church begin to gather. But what's happening now is you're seeing these men and women of Jesus step into the identity and the calling that God has purposed for them. They get that their life is purposed to help others know who God is. They get it. And in fact, over and over in these chapters, what did you see? At, at almost every opportunity they had, what did you notice? What were they doing? Were they kind of passive? Or were they active in their gospel sharing? They were very active, right? With every opportunity that presented them, whether it's a single person on the side of the street, whether it's a crowd that gathered to understand why are you, what's going on? What's up with this? Whether it's being directly questioned or maybe not questioned at all, but just choosing to speak. Over and over and over, what we're seeing is followers of Jesus have a gospel identity, have an understanding that all of our life is meant to be a witness, and at every opportunity, we are ready, and not just ready, we are even eager. We are eager to help others know who God is. We, on a daily basis, are so overwhelmed. We've talked about this in previous messages in this series. We are so overwhelmed by the fact that we have been so sinful against God and so broken before Him. We are so undeserving. We are so lost and hopeless and, and just on, our, on the path toward death, death of life and physical death itself apart from God. But yet God in His love and His mercy has chosen to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, has given us His grace upon grace. It is not of anything we have done, all of what He has done, and He came that we might be forgiven of our sins. He came that we might be healed of our iniquities. He came that we might be freed from our bondage. He came that we might have the opportunity to know the joy of His presence again. He came that He might give us a spirit to restore us and redeem us to be the people that He originally created us to be. He came to give us promises that were yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He came to secure for us a joyful, blissful hope that is secure because of the work of Jesus our Savior, a future with God that will never end. Aren't you grateful for who God is in your life? And when you begin to understand the, the riches that we have in Christ and the fact that it's not 
of us, but of the gift of God, and it's available for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. As we go in life and we see people hurting, and we see people in bondage of sin, and we see people hopeless and discouraged and depressed, overwhelmed with the burdens of life, as, as we see people giving themselves to, to just all the stuff of the world that we know is shallow and will not satisfy, as we see people grieving loss and yet not understanding hope, as we see people trapped in the bondage, bondage of religion that will not offer forgiveness but only greater burden, we cannot help but talk to people in our lives about Jesus Christ. We want to connect people to him. I told myself, it really wasn't telling myself, God really impressed me this week, Barrett, don't be a preacher. Because people are going to, when, what I mean by this is that I think sometimes when we think about evangelism, we, we think about it as some category of things for the like super spiritual elite or something that like paid pastors do or something that's just real disconnected from ordinary life. And what I'm trying to say here, as you look at these disciples, these are disciples that they're not disconnected from ordinary life as they live their life, where they are, and the area that they have been called. They are ready and eager to speak to their friends, to speak to their members of their community, to speak to leaders and authorities about Jesus because they know that there truly is no other name by which men must be saved. It is Jesus Christ, and he can save and transform any life. He gives grace to all who believe. And just in their ordinary life, you, you, this is not you becoming somebody that you're not. This is you being who you are, and part of who you are is you are eager. You long for, in the depth of your heart, you genuinely long for the people in your life to know Jesus. And like 1 Peter 3 says, you are ready to give an answer to anybody who asks you, and even eager to do so. I, I, I'm wondering, does this characterize your life? Does this characterize your life? Do, do, you, do you sense your cup overflowing and in such a way that you desire, just naturally desire, as, as you're having your neighbors over for dinner and you're just hanging out, do you just desire, because you see that the, the, maybe they're, they're, just, they're just missing the, the main point of life? And, and you just naturally desire to bring up spiritual things, to begin to speak to them, to begin to move conversation toward the opportunity to see them come to know the fullness of life that Jesus has offered to you because he offers that same fullness of life to them if they would just believe. Ready and eager, number one. Number two, compassionate. In the first, three ver first ten verses of chapter three, we see that the disciples are compassionate. I love that out of the outworking of that core nucleus, that all of those ingredients of a healthy church that we talked about last week as they're meeting together. The Lord, is, the Lord is adding to their number. 
But here, in the beginning of chapter 3, we see Peter and John. And they're just going to the temple. They're on their way. And they get stopped by someone who has a need, who's sitting out on the path that they're taking, on their ordinary journey into the temple. And he's calling out. Any of you ever been asked by anyone in our community or in other communities, you ever been stopped and just asked, hey, can you meet, could, could you meet my need? Sometimes the tendency can be to think, well, I've heard about 10 of you already today, so it would be better for me not to look you in the eyes and to just kind of treat you as one of the mob like I've treated the others, because if I make an eye contact and there's a human moment, then I might be responsible to do something. So I'm just going to just going to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep walking quickly. Kind of like the parable Jesus gave on the other side of the road, passing by. I love that Peter and John, spiritual leaders, <laughs> desiring, you know, another, another tendency could be, you think, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not called to take care of physical needs. I'm just called to take care of spiritual needs. Here's Peter and John, leaders of the church. But as they go on their way and someone calls out for help, what happens? They stop. In the midst of the masses, they don't overlook the one man. And they make a human connection. Look at me. In other words, I see you. The people that are hurting and suffering around us, I wonder... Do they know of Christians that we see them? With incidents like this past week up in Fraser, while there's a lot of craziness involved that I don't completely understand in our community, I do know that there are people who are hurting up in Fraser this past week, and they want to know, do we see them? Do we, do we see that in the day uh, in our country that's filled with racism, that it is tough when someone is killed. It's tough to deal with that and to figure out, is this just or unjust? Do we see the plight of people like that? Do we understand as people c come up to us on the street, like, do we, do we relate to them in such a way that they feel that they are made in the image of God? that they're not just one who's just going to be cast off again. But do we, do we have a heart to at least look at someone in the eyes and help them know that we do love them because God loves them and we do care about them because God care about, cares about them? And I'm not saying that you have to be the Savior for every person. That's not our job. But I, what I am saying is it is our job to exude, to pour out the love and compassion of Christ to as many as God would have us to know in our life. Would you agree? And to understand that part of being a Christian witness is showing God's love in practical ways. 
Sometimes we think about evangelism as only, you know, just the verbal witness, and it is, it does involve a verbal witness, but it also involves just taking care of people. The guy looks up, help! <laughs> he guy, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I will pour out to you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he invites the man to stand up and walk, and he offers healing. Do not discount practical acts of mercy and kindness as we live as Christians. Jesus says, they will see your good work in Matthew 5, and they will glorify God in heaven. As we teach English to refugees and internationals in the community, as we sit with moms by the bedside of St. Jude and we cry with them over the unfathomable pain of a child getting inflicted with a disease we don't understand and don't have the full cure for yet. As we engage with broken youth of the inner city and gyms and we just, we love them with an unconditional love that maybe they have never known in their life before. As we give time to our neighbors to just do things with them that we may not even want to do, but just care for them because they need community and friendship. Don't discount all of these little things in the process of what God is doing to show himself as God through your life. Because God is allowing your whole life to be a witness for him, not just your verbal witness, but also the witness of your life. And as you move toward people with love and compassion and take care of them, you are showing the love and the compassion and the care of Jesus. And these things provide a witness to those who do not yet believe. And often open the door to more opportunity because if they can see in your life that's part of what God is like, what, what is making you like this? And that's exactly what happened in chapter 3, is it not? The people gathered around in chapter 3, and they ask, uh, what's going on, verse 11? And Peter gets an opportunity in verse 12. Why do you wonder at this? Do you think we did this? In other words, as people ask, why, do you, why are you sitting here right now with me as I'm crying? Or a youth goes, I, I've, never, I've never known this kind of love. I don't get that I've screwed up and I've screwed up and I've screwed up and you're still here for me. It gives you an opportunity to connect it. It's not me. It's not that we are good people. It's that we know a great God. And he has transformed us. And you can know him too. What you're seeing in us and this love and this compassion, this, we're not loving you with our love or our compassion. This is the love of God through us. And Peter makes the connection, but don't discount the opportunity with the one. As you think about your call to be a bold witness, I'm asking you to consider, are you ready and eager, first of all, but secondly, are you living a life where you're not just looking for opportunities to open your mouth, but looking for opportunities to just show Jesus to the one and to meet practical needs, the love and care and compassion of Christ.
When Jesus told that parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, Martin Luther King well said, Jesus flipped the script. The guy came to Jesus asking, who is my neighbor, wanting Jesus to define it. And as Jesus told the story, and it was all well and done, and we saw who was the neighbor, the one who stopped and who helped. Jesus ends the parable by flipping the script and asking you the question, what kind of neighbor are you? Not who is my neighbor, trying to figure out who it is that you're supposed to do this to, but rather Jesus is asking, what kind of neighbor are you? Are you one filled with compassion, concerned for the masses or for the one? Number three, boldness. Did y'all notice this as we read the text? My goodness, were these people bold. Have you ever seen such, have you ever seen such boldness? I mean, as they are brought before these councils again and again, like starting in verse, verse 11, as they're brought before these people, they just, they just step up. And they are not ashamed. It's exactly what Romans 1 tells us. We're not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and a salvation for all who believe, the Jew first and also the Greek. These, these apostles, these Christians are not ashamed. When they're asked, what's going on? They say, this is about Jesus. And in front of the councils, again and again, I mean, they're just, they're just saying it like it is. Hey, um, Guys, do not talk about this with anybody. Oh, I'm sorry. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you're going to have to judge, but I'm sorry. We cannot stop talking about Jesus. This is bold, right? Even in the face of threats and persecution, if you continue to read on, uh, Look at their prayer in chapter 4 at the end. In verse 30. Excuse me. Let's look at verse uh, 29 and 30. He says, they're praying, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all what? Boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal. And it says in verse 31, after they had prayed, they were filled with spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with what? With boldness. I don't know about you, but in the conversations that I have had with people who don't know Jesus yet, there's this moment when you sense the Holy Spirit going, you, you, you should probably tell them about Jesus. You should start, start a con- just a spiritual conversation. Just, just ask Just ask the question. There's a moment of decision, isn't there? Has anybody ever felt that moment of anxiety? Show of hands and let's look around the room. Anybody ever felt a moment of anxiety when you go to open up your mouth as a witness? Okay. The rest of you are doing really well then. Or you just didn't participate. Um, There is. That's why God gives us this word. It's because it requires, he knows that it requires us moving beyond what other people are going to think of us, what other people are going to do to us, 
what other people are expecting or even asking of us. And we have got to have our eyes on God. He says, I know that this is not what you're asking, this is not what you're expecting, but I'm telling you, as I'm looking at God, I cannot help but speak because I know this is what God desires for me at this moment. And they, in the moment of anxiety, overcome with faith and step into the role that God has called them to. That's why God gives us the word, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. How do we overcome shame? God tells us, Romans 1, 16, 17, we're not ashamed of the gospel for, why? It is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, overcome your fear by recognizing that what you're about to speak unlocks the mystery of salvation for many who don't understand and have yet to believe. Don't shrink back in fear. Step forward in faith, believing that this is what God has called you to do and that God is able to do exceedingly beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. As you step in to share the gospel, he can step in to bring salvation and faith. It's hard. When you're, I keep using some of these examples, like when you're in a hospital and you get a private interaction with a patient and they are destroyed by news and the door is closed and it's just you and them and you're going, oh no. See, I can say this because I'm not responsible to any hospital. <laughs> and you go, oh no. The rules say I shouldn't go there, but the Holy Spirit says right now this person needs to know the comfort of God. You got a moment of decision, and I'm wondering, will you step in by faith to speak what God has put on your heart to share so that person is not just comforted by your presence, but ultimately can be comforted by the presence of the one who is the giver of hope himself. In these little moments with your neighbor, you're there at your dinner table, and you're going, oh man, if I go here, it's going to be awkward to live beside them for the next 30 years of my life. And I'm not saying at the first conversation, everybody understands this, you do not need to be a bully evangelist. You don't need to be that guy with the bullhorn down on the street, okay? It's not what I'm saying is that you... Your neighbor comes over in the first dinner, and you're like, you just need to repent and know Jesus. That is not what we're talking about. And I think everybody understands the culture of the church here, but in case you don't, that's not what we're talking about. But you can still have these moments with your neighbor, and you go, I just want to ask that question, or I just want to go there. And you risk. There's a risk. Do you shrink back in fear? Do you step forward in faith? God says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Go there. Go there with your eyes on God and not on man. Amen? Boldness. And I'm just wondering, does this characterize you? In these moments, are you characterized by faith, stepping in and going with the Holy Spirit's prompting to begin to help people know the God that they need to know? Number four. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Where does the boldness come from? The boldness comes not because of these people's strength, 
the boldness comes because of the Holy Spirit's power. All throughout these chapters, what we are looking at is we are looking at Christians who are living in the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're Christians who are found on their knees in the morning time and in midday and at night praying, saying, God, there's no way I can live this life you've called me to, but I know that you can. I know that you can change my heart and I know that you can fill my life and you can empower my ministry. God, it's not about what I can do. It's about what you can do. They get it. And their empowerment is by the Holy Spirit. As they step forward to share in chapter 4 with the first council that they were brought to with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, if you look at it in verse uh, 7 and 8, they ask the question, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then it says, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined, he goes on, he goes on. it says clearly he's being filled with the Spirit. Then in verse 13, as the council considers what they're listening to, they says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. In other words, they're going, this doesn't quite make sense. Uh, these guys are speaking with like confidence and authority. They, they're their demeanor is, is uh, aren't these, weren't these guys fishermen? Hey, somebody, can you figure out what Peter's doing back in Galilee? Wasn't his, do I even know his mama and his daddy? What, what is going on here? Common, uneducated men. But yet, something's happening where they are astonished. They're astonished at what has been happening through their ministry. They're astonished at the crowd's responses. They're astonished at their own level, I believe, of, of, of conviction and confrontation with God's truth. They're astonished that at this moment their hands are tied. They can't even figure out how to, get, to stamp this out. All of this is a sign of the fact that these people are not operating with human power. They're operating with Holy Spirit power as they minister and as they speak the gospel, as they reach out in compassion to the one, what is happening is they are doing so through the Spirit's power. Verses 29 through 30, at the end of their prayer, we see as they're praying. Again, guys, they're praying, and what is God doing? He's answering their prayers by pouring out His Spirit. It says, as they were gathering, they, they prayed, and when they had prayed, verse 31, the place when they had gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Why is this in the Scripture? So that you and I know how to live in boldness. Boldness is an overflow of the Holy Spirit's power. Holy Spirit's power is an overflow of their willingness to go to God and cry out to Him, God, we long for this, but this is impossible with us, but it is possible with you. And then we read over in chapter 5, verse 12. At the start of that, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people. 
What? Signs and wonders? Who's doing that? Peter's not Harry Potter. Sometimes we read the scripture and we go, how is this happening? We just read it as if it's a fairy tale. This is not a fairy tale. Do you believe God can heal people? Do you believe God can work with, with wonder today? Do you believe God can show up to people in dreams and give people confidence in the gospel? Do you believe God can do these things? The, the, the mark of their ministry was that it could not be explained by humans. It could only be explained by God. It's the fourth characteristic we're looking at here is empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, do you live by the Holy Spirit's power? I will tell you that every single time that I have had the opportunity to share with anyone about Jesus and to share the gospel with them. I have, and, and I watch them come to faith. What happens is I after go, what? Like they say they want to believe, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I get overcome with this like, I I don't understand, and I cannot believe that this is happening. And almost always, I will, I'm moved to tears, and those of you who have, have been a part of this, you understand what we're talking about. There's this overcoming emotion where you go, I can't believe what just happened. Because right in front of my eyes over the course of this last season of my life, or even a course of just this moment, I have watched God bring a person from death to life, from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope. And there's, oh, you know the only way to explain it is by what God has done. It's not by what you have done. Fifth, we see a willingness to suffer. A willingness to suffer. The second half of chapter 4 into chapter 5 that we've discussed. Over and over, the men and women of Jesus are confronted by the authorities and they are told, you better stop doing what you're doing or else it's going to be bad for you. They put them in prison overnight, threaten them, they end up releasing them because they couldn't really figure out what to do with them. And then even after a night in prison, they're still together, coming back in front of the council and, and the, the authorities are saying, you can't do this anymore. And they're saying, I'm sorry, we've got to keep doing it. I know, they know what cost could be. They understand it. Chapter 5, as they are approached by the authorities because of all that is happening, they are brought to prison again. God brings them out, verse 19, by an angel of the Lord and tells them to continue to speak. I don't know about you, but after one night in jail, if you're sharing the gospel, I don't know that the next morning I would be back on the street doing the same thing. What about you? I'm thinking I might be curled up in my PJs asking for mama. <laughs> but it's, I'm just being real. It says here that after they got out of prison, what does it say? Verse 21, they got back at daybreak and they began to teach again. 
When they're confronted again by the authorities, verse 29 of chapter 5, Peter and the apostles say, I'm sorry, we must obey God rather than men. Verse 33 says that the council wanted to kill them. And in fact, we read at the end of chapter 5, In verse 40, that after they called the apostles, they were beaten. After they were charged not to continue, they were beaten. One of the things that we have to understand that God calls us to in our Christian witness is God calls us to embrace a willingness to suffer. This suffering can look like, and Jesus promises, he said, look, if they did this to me, they're going to do this to you. And this is not something that people talk about much. We typically want people to come to Christ and they oh, we just talk about all the good things. But I'm telling you, if you want to identify with Jesus in our culture today and anywhere around the world, you will be persecuted. Jesus promised you that it will happen. But blessed are you when you are persecuted, for in doing so you are identifying with him and you're identifying with many who have gone before you in faith. Consider it joy. Suffering. Even just being a Christian in today's culture, what's it look like, guys? You get labeled as all kinds of stuff in our culture today, right? It's the reality. You begin talking about the gospel, and what begins to happen is people start kind of talking about you behind your back. You become that guy or that girl. Or maybe to your face, they confront you, and they'll say that you're narrow-minded, or you say that you're crazy, or that's so foolish. Whether it's friend groups or family groups, whether it's culture at large, and the article after article talking about Christians hating women, or hating homosexuals, or hating whatever, and it's like, that is just not true. But in reality, what happens is, there is that is subtle suffering. And your choice to identify with Christ and the truth of God's word will come at a cost if you are faithful. It will. And God asks us to be willing, to be willing to suffer. And for some of us, even just this past week with our spiritual gifts inventory that we did, I know that there are many in our church who even have said, God has given me the gift, the calling to be willing to give my life for the gospel. To go into places where, just like these men, it could cost you a night in jail. Listen to a man last week who was detained for years in Turkey simply because of his witness as a Christian, and he talked about the agony of the days and the weeks and the months that he was in jail, but at the same time, the comfort of the Holy Spirit with him and the joy of knowing that he was being identified with Jesus or some even greater cost than that, giving your very life. But the reality is, we don't consider that as something that should stop us and our obedience. We consider it, but we also show a willingness to endure it, following in the path of our Savior and desiring the goal of people's salvation more than comfort of our own self and safety. Number six characteristics of Christian witness, 
Number six, marked by a trust in God's sovereignty. A trust in God's sovereignty. I'm putting this here because in the prayer of chapter 4, verses 23 to 29, we see that as they were released, they went back to their friends, it says, verse 24, and they all lifted up their voices together to God, and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. But you, God, brought your anointed and they did whatever, verse 28, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So God, we know that you are in charge. We know that ultimately our lives are in your hands. We know, God, that the only way for this to be possible is by you, and ultimately you are at this moment sovereign. They're thinking about the creation around them. They're thinking about the promises of God and the fulfillment of what God has done in raising Christ from the dead. And they said, the greatest evil of this world has not stopped your plans, God. So we are coming to you today telling you that we believe that you are still in charge. And as we ask of you today in our present need, and they ask not for blessing and comfort and ease, but their ask is for them to continue in boldness of gospel sharing. As we ask, we are asking for boldness. Why? Because we trust that in all things you are good and you are in charge and you are going to take care of us and you're going to take care of the growth of your church. They trusted in the sovereignty of God. And I'm wondering, as you go to share, where is your confidence? Where is your trust? If we are constantly trying to control situations and control the responses of other people and control what's going to happen to us, oh no, we're trying to minimize risk and minimize liability and all this stuff, we will be shrinking back constantly as it comes to our call to share the gospel. The only way to be freed and really joyful in the work of witnessing is to put your trust, to release control, put your trust in the sovereignty of God to take care of you and to work with power as you share. Number seven, and I got to close, is joyful identification with Christ. Joyful identification with Christ. I'd love that at the end of chapter five, verse 41 and 42, Verse 32, they describe how they're witnesses. They can't help but identify. Oh, they identify with Jesus. But verses 41 and 42, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. And it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. In other words, these are not people who go, when they hear evangelism, oh, here we go again. Got to share the gospel. Oh, no. I'm supposed to be talking to my neighbor. Oh, man. This patient right now, I just don't want to share, and I've got to share. It's, you don't see that picture of these people. Christians are marked by a joy 
a joy in identifying with Jesus and a joy in sharing about Jesus to those who God brings into our lives with the opportunity to share. They counted it an honor. They, they were so grateful, rejoicing that we were included among those who were talked about for identifying with Jesus. Jesus tells us, great, great in heaven is your reward. Joy. Joy. And our gospel witness, there should be a smile on our face and a sense of joy from our hearts. Do you exhibit joy in life? And in your identification with Christ, do you consider it a joy? As we close this morning, I want us to consider these seven things. But I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees. As Robbie comes, um, I, I really want us right now in this moment to recognize that in all of these things, the one assumption is that you know that God has purposed your life to be a witness for him. And that's the starting point. To be surrendered over and just to say, God, I want in my life and in my speech and in my action, in my demeanor, in my attitude, in my love and compassion and mercy, God, I want you to so fill my life and work through my life that people who are far from you would come close to you through me. I want to be a witness for you. And maybe this morning that is your starting place. It's just recognizing it. And honestly, I think for many of us, this is an area where growth is needed. It is not my job primarily, although I am joyfully evangelistic and preaching here on Sundays, but I'm telling you, if we're going to see growth in our church, there's one of two ways we're going to see it grow. We're either going to grow it through people who are already Christians, and they're going to be moving from other churches in our city or in other cities, and that's okay. I don't really want people to move from other churches in our city. Other cities, that's okay. But I'm telling you, I want to see growth in our church by seeing people who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus Christ. I want to see growth in the way the New Testament church saw growth by seeing people baptized here on Sundays every week. Wouldn't that be wonderful? How is that going to happen? That happens not because you guys are affording to pay me to go out and do that full time. No, my job is to equip you to become ministers of the gospel, and part of being a minister of the gospel is learning to share the gospel through your life and your word. And I'm asking, are you living in that calling? Are you one who is desiring to see the Lord add to our church daily numbers who are being saved and connecting your own personal responsibility with it? And of these seven characteristics, as you consider it now, just prayerfully consider, are you ready and eager? Is your life marked by compassion, boldness, Holy Spirit empowerment, willingness to suffer, trust in God's sovereignty, and joyful identification with Christ? And I just want you to spend some time now just praying, surrendering, just saying, if there's one of these, or maybe multiple of these, or all of these, just name them for the Lord. Repent and believe and offer your hearts and your lives to God and surrender.
So let's do that right now. Let's take some time for personal prayer.